watchers in the fourth dimension. Anyone fool enough to be down those sewers deserves to die. We've got the professor. Revive it. Um, just enough to bring it out of its cocoon. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And don't call me your dolly soldier in front of the brigadier. <laughs> Riley, you are always our dolly soldier. <laughs> this episode, we are covering the second half of the mammoth Cybermen epic that is The Invasion. If you haven't heard our discussion of the first four episodes, you can hear that in the previous episode of the podcast, which you can listen into through your favorite podcasting app, where we also covered all of the behind the scenes information around this story. So with that, we are going to dive straight into our short summary and then get started on episodes five through eight. Julie, you have the short summary this time around. Over to you. After discovering the Cyberman, we find Turner and Isabel in a flirt off. More of that to come. The Brigadier bypassing incompetent authority, Vaughn continuing to Vaughn, and Isabel and Zoe bucking manly authority. Four pictures of Cybermen are acquired and Jamie needs a nap. The invasion timeline is escalated. The cerebration machine is to be mass produced, or will it? And we found out Vaughn is truly not human. Watkins is rescued, Gregory is killed, and Zoe helps create some depolarizers. The invasion begins, Vaughn is given total authority, and Jamie is shot. No! A convoluted plan involving Russian missiles, ground missiles, and the doctor shutting down the transmitters agreed upon. In the end, the invasion is stopped, Vaughn is dead, Isabel and the captain are together, and the crew gets back to the TARDIS. Done. Good summary. A lot happens. I left a lot out. You left out a lot of hot canoeing action. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I was about to say that that was almost my choice for my opening line after my introduction. I was going to say, and I'm Riley. Come on, let's go back to the canoe. <laughs> <laughs> they should sell that in the Doctor Who store, the Doctor Who canoe. It should be his primary mode of travel. It really it really should. The Who canoe. The can who. Does it come with a Jamie? Because if it comes with a Jamie, I'm in. Uh, we can make that happen. Okay, perfect. I do start out my notes for this episode with live canoe action. <laughs> so there's that. But also for me, since I had never seen any of these series before, and the last episode, episode four, was animated, I couldn't really comment on the Cybermen's outfits because, again, it was a cartoon. So this time I'm like, okay, I see what Stan is saying. They have giant earmuffs. Yes. <laughs> and why do they have giant earmuffs? Yeah, it's don't not as good. I don't like the earmuffs. I like the revised chest piece. I think that's a lot sleeker and a lot cooler. Mm -hmm. I even like the little teardrop eye thing. Weird for creatures that claim not to have emotions, but I just find the big earmuffs weird. They have the eye drop thing because they killed a guy in prison. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> But they all just killed one. Yeah, they all yes. killed the same guy. <laughs> and the, the thing of the Cyberman coming out of the cocoon was kind of neat, but I kept thinking they have to reset that whole cocoon thing every time they go back in. What I like is that it's left over from the tomb of the Cybermen where they break out of the cocoon. So I like the continuity aspect of it. That's true. I am left wondering, do they have to manually bring each Cyberman out of the cocoon? Because by the time at the end of episode six, where we have them marching through the streets of London, Jesus Christ, how long did it take to revive all of those Cybermen? That must have been quite the undertaking. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. If he has a giant factory in which you would think he would have a whole bunch of employees that were working for him when it was the electrical company, then he probably has the manpower to do it. That's true. That is very true. I guess they must all be kind of brainwashed as well, which is why the secret doesn't get out. Yeah. Plus, hey, it's work, you know. <laughs> yes, I spend my days reviving alien creatures. <laughs> I'm sure they're paid well. It's a paycheck, you know. <laughs> so what I like about this is there's still enough time amongst all of this for a little bit of character work with Captain Jimmy Turner asking Isabel out. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, well, are you rich? And it's like, Isabel, come on. Yeah, not helping yourself here. I don't know, she's kind of annoying in episode five. She's yeah. obnoxious with Jimmy, then she doesn't take the Cybermen seriously. I like her, but she's not her best in this episode. Yeah. I go back and forth with her. She's too much of a loose cannon, and she's kind of all over the place. Yeah. I find her to be wonderfully precocious. <laughs> of course you do. So we get that, and we also get the Brigadier... 
being awesome. And Rutledge. And oh my gosh, that was wonderful. Favorite scene of episode five by far. The only thing it was missing was they should have gone full cop cliche and the minister would say, Brigadier, you are the worst person in unit. Turn in your mustache and beret and get out of my office. <laughs> I think his mustache does move around a little bit. <laughs> it definitely was a fake mustache at this point. Nicholas Courtney did not have one. And he talks in interviews, or he did talk in interviews, about the variety of fake moustaches that he had over the years and how they change between certain serials. Awesome. Doesn't surprise me. Imagine that, getting paid thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, and it's like, you know, I'm going to talk about the mustache. That's what the kids want to hear about. <laughs> it's all about the stash. Hey, when we didn't have Doctor Who on TV for, how long was it? 16 years? There were only so many times that Doctor Who magazine could actually ask about good things until they got to the mustache. <laughs> special all mustache issue. <laughs> With special canoe fold out in the middle? Yes. Yes. <laughs> And they never asked about the smugglers. What? <laughs> Probably best not to. But one thing that I found interesting is how the brain control was slipping. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of really curious as to why that was happening, because it was never addressed. Really is the exact reason why. Yeah. Maybe it needs to be topped up periodically, and that's what the problem was. Who can say? After Rutledge is ordered over to International Electromatics, Vaughn kind of questions him and then Packer asks, oh, what are you going to do with him? And Vaughn just says, oh, leave him to me. Then he casually opens up the cyber controller, talks about the invasion in front of Rutledge, and we never quite find out what happens to him. And I'm sitting there thinking, Vaughn's either going to kill him or have him converted. And that's the only thing I can assume, is that one of those two things happens to him, which is pretty brutal. Vaughn is a very brutal guy. He is. Yeah. I'm not surprised. He was probably like, hey, Packer, you want to kill someone? <laughs> Packer. <laughs> Packer. <laughs> Incidentally, talking about the cyber controller, I figured out why I kept calling him the cyber director last time. And that's because the novelization, which is one of the only novelizations I actually read when I was a child, calls it the cyber director. Hmm. Oh. A likely story. <laughs> <laughs> I think Vaughn just wanted someone else besides Packer to listen to him monologue. <laughs> <laughs> so Packer can have a day off. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Cybermen in the sewers. Uh, when that happened, I was immediately thinking like, oh no, units here. We have to go back to the sewers. Why are we doing this all over again? Please don't. I mean, it worked better than before. I will say that. Well, we didn't stay down in the sewers, yeah, and, yeah. and that's what helped. It's a genius plan, honestly. If you're trying to get a whole bunch of Cybermen to be able to spread out throughout the city, the best way is through the sewers or the underground. Either one of them would have worked. Yeah. But obviously, to stay hidden, the sewers is better. So, yeah, it was good to see some, and we got our one episode of really seeing it, and then we were done. It's Tercerus all over again. <laughs> but we'll get to that in about three years' time. <laughs> only Daleks don't have noses. I think they missed a trick and not kind of staining some of the Cyberman outfits a bit, but that's just me. <laughs> so the costume of Bobby Bartlett had to go down into, they filmed in the actual sewers and she had to go down with them to help the Cybermen kind of suit up down there mm -hmm. and talks about it in interviews and how incredibly unhappy she was because she was having to go and do that. It's kind of brutal to make her go down there, but I don't really blame her. Yeah, yeah. I would too. But we get a, the testing of the big anti-Cyberman weapon. Yes. And I, I want to talk more about Vaughn here because he's hamming it up. This is where I want to nominate him for the camp count. And I realized we gave the actor a significant <laughs> amount of points on the camp count on the Daleks master plan. But I think he deserves it here. The way he says just enough to bring it out of its cocoon with a very <laughs> slight wry smile. I mean, he's completely bonkers and I'm here for it. I like the level of over the topness that he goes to it works he seems like a total megalomaniac yeah and it's surprising where other than power there's not much else that's really driving him to do this but for some reason i still feel like he's one of the better villains because the actor's just so good oh yeah yeah I i'm like i buy it if any other person had been playing this role i'd be like i don't understand but right now i'm just like this man he wants he wants it all i get it though. good old kevin stoney he's good spectacular we do actually get him back for a third time with Tom Baker in season 12. So looking forward to that. 
I also love how after he drives the Cyberman crazy and everyone's like, well, Cyberman's going into the sewers. Is this really a good idea? It might kill someone. He's like, anyone foolish enough to be down in those sewers deserves to die. He's like, like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. And then it spends like two episodes just running around screaming. I could have gone my entire life without having to hear that Cyberman scream. It was horrific sounding. Yeah. It was terrible. I want another episode in modern day who that's, that's set around this time period and just in the background you have this cyberman running across the background screaming no explanation no one comments on it just there it is you know when they had that cut of the scene where vaughn says like anthony uh, just mentioned anyone full enough to be down this, those sewers deserves this to die I really expected they were going to do a hard cut and show Jamie, Zoe, and Isabel in the sewers, like right after that cut. But no, they almost. I mean, it it goes yeah. from that, and it cuts to Isabel being like, "Let's go down the sewers and get that evidence." <laughs> oh, that scene! Yes, that scene. That scene. Oh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm like Jamie. This is the one time that you've let me down. Just a little bit. Oh, you mean the casual sexism? Yes, this is an actual time where he does the casual sexism. Uh, Uh, You didn't like Daphne's plan? Come on. Yeah. I kind of thought he was just being a troll and winding them up more than actually being sexist at that point. But That's probably a much more charitable view of it. Yeah. Which is fine. The thing that I like about Jamie, though, is he throws this sexism in. He's like, men are superior, whatever. But then when they're like, well, we're going anyway, he's like, well, just need to make sure you're safe. So he still like helps them out. Yeah. He doesn't actually actively stop them. No, I would have liked that whole sequence better if they didn't need to be rescued because it was basically, yeah. oh, you shouldn't do that. You'll get in trouble and get attacked. And like, no, we'll be fine. And they went and needed to be rescued. I'm like, oh, come on. Give them a Scooby-Doo moment. Let him get the proof. So... <laughs> While I'm not quite as vocal about it as Julie, I do absolutely adore Jamie. I mean, I wrote the chapter on Jamie in Alan's book, but I do like to try and be charitable to him on this. And I I do like to think he's just trolling. I feel the need to get defensive here. Well, so the thing is, he comes from a certain period of time where women were one, usually viewed that way, and two, often felt the need to play that less strong role. So I'm not terribly surprised if he does have that. I don't think it's really saying anything about his like true inner character. I think it's more of a time period of where he came from. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fair as well. It doesn't make me think any less of Jamie. It's just more of a, Jamie, did you really have to go and say that? But it's just one thing that he said. And and when he immediately then goes to follow them and make sure that they're safe, I'm like, I'm, yep, he's back to who he needed to be. So no big deal. Yeah. I also love how they just managed to convince some unit troops to drive them to London who clearly don't have (laughs) orders to do that. Yeah, it's surprising of how good unit is of following directions. And then they're just like, hey, we need a ride. They're like, oh, sure. Like, I feel like you weren't given orders to let them have whatever they need. I like how driver guy gets the call not to let them out of his sight literally right after they've gotten out of the car. Situational irony. (laughs) And he's like, oh, but they're gone. They could have gone anywhere. Were you not paying attention? (laughs) They literally went down the manhole Mm -hmm. right in front of you. Good job, soldier. So they went to the sewers. They took fairly bad pictures. But we got, you know, lots of filming of people's kilts and skirts. (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) I feel like it's on me to point this out whenever it happens. That's my job. Fair. And also, did anyone else believe that Zoe would still be wearing a feather boa into the sewers? (laughs) Just an interesting choice of... uh, of where I think I deliberately ignored that because I don't recall that at all. I'm sure it happened. I just I think I just deliberately blocked that because I love this story and didn't want to think anything negative. If I wasn't so completely lazy, I think anytime Zoe changes outfits would have made a oh. good metric. <laughs> I noted down when she changed outfits, so I wasn't actively thinking of her wearing the boa, but the second that she changed outfits in a later episode, I immediately noticed. But that is in a future episode. Indeed. And we have our useless cop. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, he just conveniently shows up, makes a ton of noise as we're like, oh, we shouldn't make so much noise. He'll attract the Cybermen. Cybermen show up. I mean, dude, come on, read the script. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I wanted to talk about in this episode was Vaughn having his little tete-a-tete with the Cyber Controller, where 
they're already trying to go against the original plan. And we actually start finding out what the plan was and that basically he was going to allow the Cybermen to strip the Earth of its minerals in exchange for them giving him control of the planet. And at this point, they just want to convert the Earth and Vaughn and tell him, if you want to rule, you've got to be a Cyberman. Well, it's funny because both sides were planning on betraying the other. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, you didn't see this coming from a mile off? Don't you remember what happened with the Daleks? Come on, man. Did anyone think that the cyber planner sounded rather flat and kind of drunk in, in this episode? He just didn't sound as sharp. I think he's a little upset after how badly he did in the wheel in space. He's, I think he's been drinking a little too much. He's afterwards. actually voiced by the same actor that plays Packer. <laughs> yeah, he, he legitimately is. And Peter Halliday, the actor, will come back and voice other aliens in the future. That's why he's just raging all the time. Mm -hmm. His inner Cyberman was like, oh, <laughs> nope, I need, a, I need to come out. And that's what happened to Packer. And anytime he has a discussion with Vaughn, they're like, we accept your terms. Conversation <laughs> terminated. Like, whatever. <laughs> Well, I think that ends episode five with them being surrounded by Cybermen in both directions. Oh, no. Episode six. And unit to the rescue. And the mad Cybermen. Yeah, after they've been ignored by the crazy Cybermen. How convenient. Yeah. You know, when something's kind of going crazy and you just back yourself up into a wall and let it pass, it kind of forgets that you're there. It's like, hey, not my problem. Carry on. We do get our first set of unit troops struggling down there because of Isabel's actions. We get someone dying. Yep. Yeah. And then this really weird sequence when they're all climbing up out of the sewers and you have the last unit guy and Jamie's about to start climbing and the guy's like, no, 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 you need to stay here and watch. I'm like, if it were a military unit, he would make sure that a civilian, Jamie, would go up the ladder first. And then Jamie immediately gets his ankle grabbed by the Cyberman. Like, I'm assuming because he wasn't paying attention. I thought that's a weird cut, but yeah. It was just weird, weird sequence of events. Definitely an odd choice, but I think given the circumstances around writing the story and Derek Sherwin basically having to write Kit Peddler's scripts, I'll let him have a little oversight. The weird thing that I find about it is if it was just the fact that we had to have Jamie have his foot grabbed by a Cyberman as opposed to one of the unit guys have his foot grabbed by a Cyberman, then something should have happened with that. But no, it's just like, oh, hey, it has my leg. And then, oh, eventually we shook him off and we escaped. If it were meaningful for it to be Jamie, then they should have done something with it. Yeah, I get that. Well, Anthony, you say that they go down there in the sewers and Isabel's decision cost someone their life, but it was totally worth it for all those wonderful pictures she got out of it, right? <laughs> These look fake. Yeah, those completely usable oh, ones. They were kind of garbage. They weren't good. Have you seen those, like, you know, blurry pictures of the Loch Ness Monster? That's what that was. She's not a very good photographer. No. And I was going to bring this up, but in, like, either seven or eight, she's taking these shots close up of bodies and of the doctor there's no way she could be that close with that lens that huge ass lens yeah she's yeah. getting really good shots of the doctor's nose hair and that's about it <laughs> i'm sure it's some great nose hair yes this is one of the few times i will criticize douglas camfield but i think that could have been better directed by him but never mind small things so after the little altercation in the sewers, we get Packer, who's clearly very, very nervous, and Vaughn, still cool as a cucumber. I mean, he's still got his plan. He's still got Watkins and the machine for now, and he's just ready to keep going, even though units are on his case. Good for him. Ready to get his new toy into mass production. Actually, this was one of my favorite scenes where... Watkins says, oh, if I ever catch you, I'll kill you. And Vaughn gets Packer's gun and hands it to him mm -hmm, and basically yeah. just, just calls him out and bitch slaps him. After he's used the machine on Watkins, which yeah. is brutal, and he's clearly enjoying it because he's a total sadist. He's also pretty lucky that Watkins didn't shoot for the head. <laughs> yeah, it felt like Watkins had never used a gun before. Yeah, probably not. Although I'm not going to lie, it did take Packer way too long to unholster his weapon. <clears throat> I was just sitting there. I was like, come on, come on. Can you get it out? There you go. Good boy. Oh, <laughs> buddy. I do love how Vaughn just laughs after Watkins shoots him and he's just got smoking holes and Watkins faints and Vaughn just finds this hilarious. He's just such a good villain. He really is. Again, the actor just pulls it off. If it were anyone else, I don't think it'd be as good. But then we get to a weird little cut 
where we're spared the excitement of Watkins being rescued. Yes, that is strange. I think it's because they ran out of money. <laughs> it's like, okay, Gregory, don't bore us with the details. Just yeah. there must have been 30 of them. <laughs> okay. As I said, I think they ran out of money at that point, And I actually thought if that's the case, which why would they do that otherwise? That's quite a smart way to handle that situation. You've got to have Watkins rescued somehow. And rather than do something that looks terrible, come up with a solution like that. It did seem like a budget or time thing. It was just kind of a funny cut. So they talk about rescuing and then boom. Okay, he's rescued now. All right, that's economical storytelling right there. What's also interesting while all that is happening is Jamie napping. Waking up and saying like, oh, do you need me? No, never mind. I'll go back to napping. I think they should have held off on his nap until later on because, you know, he's out of action because he gets shot, but then is amazingly better. I think Mm -hmm. if he had missed the action of the last episode because he was napping, it would have been just perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than recovering. Yes, rather than recovering. (laughs) They wake him up and go, what happened? Oh, you missed it. (laughs) We won. (laughs) Missed all the action. Why did nobody wake me up? Also, another thing that I noticed that Isabel was offering tea, but not coffee like Polly would have. Ah. Nobody does it quite like Polly. No, I noticed the weird things. Nobody <sighs> does it better. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yes, they rescued Watkins, and so therefore Gregory had to die. Poor Gregory. <laughs> I think I actually have poor Gregory written like three times in my notes because he just can't catch a break. Yeah, it's a really tough deal. Yeah, and he's barely in it. Yeah. Like, he's just there to be abused and then finally killed. And I think that that shot of him running down the sewers and getting killed by a Cyberman, I don't even think that's the same actor. I think that's like a double. And they Aww. didn't even give him the uh, good grace to have his own death scene. Yeah. This is somewhat a filler episode, but it doesn't feel like it. And this is where we get the Doctor starting to piece everything together and he figures out what's going on with the cyber spaceship on the other side of the moon, the circuit in Jamie's radio, the invasion plans, and then things more or less become the unit show. Pretty much. Yeah. What is nice is that they're using the same things that they used in The Wheel in Space. So I think they've done a couple different callbacks in the serial, which is really nice. 100%. And that kind of fits in with some of what the other things they wanted to do. I mean, they wanted to tie them together a lot more. As as we said last episode, they were going to bring back the Cybermats and the Servo Robots as well until they figured out that they couldn't really fit them into the story. Only they'd been doing that goofy spacewalk through the streets of London. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) That would have made it so much better. (laughs) Let's not do that. No, as I said here, the shots of the Cyberman going out into the streets was much better than the wheel in space. Yeah. Well, and that shot was specifically referenced in the 12th Doctor episode, Dark Water. It was at the very end. Same like shot with the cathedral in the back. Yeah, I mean, that's such an iconic scene. Yeah, it looks so good. It does. It looks great. I remember going around London with a group of my fan friends in the early 2000s taking location photos, and that was very much one of the ones we went to, except now they've got rid of the stairs and it's like a ramp in place there. It's very annoying. Oh. Yeah. And this is where mm. Zoe gets back in her cat suit. Yeah. Yeah. Because she knows there's shit that's got to be taken care of, and she's ready to kick some ass. Yeah. Love the cat suit. Mm-hmm. And then I think what's really great, and we already mentioned the last shot of this episode, which is classic, but I really like the whole scene with Isabel and Turner as they're like looking like a daybreak and it's calm before the storm kind of bit. And it's really well done. It sets the mood of like, hey, isn't everything nice here? And then stomp, stomp, stomp. It's a really nice touch. I have exactly those words in my notes, calm before the storm. Yeah. And then the cyber signal begins as they're sitting there. Another thing I find interesting is in so many of these others, you've had these forced romances, especially like Susan and whatever that guy was. I don't remember that far back. (laughs) Also shows how notable he was. The relationship between Isabel and Kerner makes so much more sense because they put them together for a lot longer and much more episodes and put them through some things. And I just think it worked better than some of the other forced romances. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Completely agree. You know, you called it the cyber signal. I just feel like the Cybermen in general are really big on branding. Do you think they kind of just do it with everything (laughs) like cyber paper towels? That's that's where the real money is made. 
those conversions are expensive. You got to make sure that with everything, you're getting some cash back from it. Merchandising. <laughs> <laughs> Riley, you already mentioned New Who, but I mean, I think that's something that Russell T. Davies plays on when he brings them back. They've got that C logo for Cybus on their chest in that first generation of New Cybermen. And yes, yeah, it's, it's all about the branding. <laughs> I really love, as we're getting that signal coming in, the shots of people in the streets who are being affected by it. I think that's really, really good at showing the impact of this on your everyday person and not just the doctor and unit. I think that's really well done as well. Oh, yeah. That was very kind of 60s horror movie. It gave it proper scope. Yeah. I mean, we have these mm-hmm. outside relocation shots. Might as well just hire a couple extras to wiggle around a little bit. It looks a lot better than being like in an enclosed studio set. Yeah. And those shots of not just the St. Paul's shots, but the shots of the Cybermen marching down the streets of London as well that lead us directly into the credits. I think that's just spectacular. So well done. Mm-hmm. Cybermen in the streets of London. I was waiting for that. <laughs> I wasn't going to be the one to do it, but I was hoping somebody would. <laughs> that takes us into episode seven. Oh. I like your Smith jokes, Riley. Thank you. And you know, at the beginning of episode seven, Jamie, not like it was difficult or anything, does have the titular line, Doctor, the invasion, it's begun. You know, someone had to say it. Yeah, exactly. I do love his response of, yes, Jamie, I'd rather gathered that. (laughs) She just said, go back to sleep, Jamie. (laughs) And even after the invasion has happened, Vaughn is still fighting with the cyber director, as I'm still calling it, over the long-term plan. I mean, guys, come on, big victory. Just enjoy it for a moment. (laughs) Vaughn is a total control freak. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting where he gets help from these otherworldly creatures and okay the plan is to take over the world and all this other thing and i'm like you know the technology that they have do you really think they're going to put you in charge that's what i mean they're both who admitted they're planning on betraying the other at the nearest possible convenience and yet he still quibbles over bullshit well yeah i mean at this point his plan has gone a little bit wrong in that watkins has been kidnapped and he can't mass manufacture his machines that's the one flaw in his plan really in that maybe you should have had that machine done first especially before you move up the invasion plans i think this is what we call key person risk Yes. (laughs) Yeah, they should have had someone there if he had had plans written. Because, like, I know he took the machine, but didn't think about documentation. (laughs) They weren't going to patent it. Um, (laughs) I have lots of questions. So we also get the altercation between Unit and the IE thugs who've come in to take Watkins back. And poor Jamie getting shot, which means, sorry, Julie, Frazier's off on his vacation. At least he saved the radio. (laughs) I was really sad. What's disappointing is I understand vacations happen when they happen, but to happen during the final, like, basically two episodes, because he's barely in episode eight as well. And it's just like, man, you get to the climax of the story and he's not there. At this point, it's very much the, as I said, the unit show and Zoe has a role, but the doctor's role feels kind of diminished and Mm -hmm. Jamie's role is completely gone at this point. Yeah. And it's so shocking to me that when we see that scene of Jamie getting shot, I feel like if that was definitely new Who era, that would have been played up so much more. But it just seems like he like pulled a hamstring and like ran out the door. Yeah. yeah. It was very much like, did he really get shot? That was my reaction. As the scene ended, I'm like, did he get shot or did he twist something? Or if that was in the script, why not play up that moment? Throw some like fear into the audience, some emotional like suspense, something. Instead, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, you just got to run through that door. He's all right. And I think Watkins gets shot as well at the same time. Suddenly yeah. looks mm-hmm. like he did. Yes. Yeah. I had a question. So we get back to unit mm-hmm. real quick. So I know when they were in Watkins lab and everything, they were trying to get the depolarizers. I thought they said they only had a limited number. So how did they have enough to go around all of unit? I guess maybe they only had a limited number at Watkins house slash lab, but maybe they could cobble some together at unit HQ as well. Isn't that where the doctor used that amazing word gubbins to describe all the things there? (laughs) Well, it was also just like the the timing seemed odd and they might have just not shown it because if they get to unit and everyone's fine, wouldn't they have to get there and create some more depolarizers and put them on the people who were... I, I, I just thought the timing was odd. I think they kind of instructed them on how to do it and they were probably fitting them off screen, I guess. Okay. Maybe. Okay. I'll throw that in as headcanon. They only had eight episodes. Come on, they can't fill in every detail. 
I'm sorry, but it's one where I'm like, they also had people like in different locations. Like not all of unit was at central control. At least in the one, they actually showed them going in and having to wake people up. That was fine. But some of the others, I was just like, they shouldn't be awake. Okay, this is fine. Yeah, definitely when we get to Portland Downs, they have to revive them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I found very, very interesting at Unit HQ was how the Brigadier could just go into a safe and pull out the file with details of a Russian space launch, which to me <laughs> oh, by the indicates way. that there's a cooling <laughs> of the Cold War. And this is clearly set in like the near future, but not actually set in the late 60s, maybe the early 70s, and they were being idealistic. Don't start that unit dating crap. No. (laughs) We're going to come back to that. Bad Anthony. (laughs) No biscuit. I did find it interesting that the Russians were going to save the day, maybe. And I was like, interesting time period for it to be the Russians that do that. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. And this is not exactly the time when the Russians had an eye to really dialogue and being friendly. I mean, this was when they invaded Czechoslovakia because they decided to cool their communism a little and they were putting forward the Brezhnev doctrine and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, interesting take. Very optimistic. We get that going. They're getting those plans together. And then the doctor's like, all right, well, I need to get to IE headquarters. And how am I going to get there? The sewers. (laughs) I love that strategy. It (laughs) is the one place where the Cybermen won't be. This makes it now three times the Doctor has returned back to Vaughn's place, I think. Oh, (laughs) in a different way each time. Okay, his security team should so be fired. Speaking of his security team, this does seem to be roughly when Pack is starting to doubt Vaughn. He almost rolls his eyes at Vaughn talking about controlling the whole world. He yeah. absolutely rolled his eyes. Like, I have that marked. I was like, Packer was rolling his eyes. He's over it. I'm so quitting after this. <laughs> and we do get that wonderful conversation between Vaughn and the Doctor that feels like it's been a while coming, even though they've obviously met before, but you've got Vaughn still projecting his calm confidence and the Doctor trying to sow those seeds of doubt, which I mm-hmm. just love. My favorite Troughton delivery is in that scene where he says it with such a, a I wouldn't say a, a bit of a cockiness, but, but yeah, that would be better. It's not smarmy, it's cockiness, but a little bit of joy behind it too, where he says, but you'll have to have the professor's help to do that, won't you? We've got the professor. And <laughs> just how he said that is just so well done. I love that delivery. A little bit of glee in his eyes when he says that. Right, yeah. And the back and forth between them, I mean, it really feels like Kevin Stoney is a worthy foil to Patrick Troughton. I mean, when, when he's like, whatever it is your unit friends are trying to do, it's too late. And he's just so good. And Troughton's just sparkling in his dialogue. It's I think he's really enjoying this. I really liked every scene that both of them had together in these last two episodes. Mm-hmm. They work well together. And we have a big finish story with the second Doctor and Tobias Vaughn as his companion. Oh, Well, it's just a classic, you know, it's not just that they have opposite goals. It's also their personalities are exact opposites. You have a very strict, stern, ruthless person who seems very pessimistic and filled with anger. And then you have the Doctor who's optimistic, upbeat, bubbly personality. It's just a wonderful clash and yet they're both very intelligent. So to see them kind of spar mentally with those personalities in play is very, very, very good. And we might talk about, you know, how like this turned into the unit show, but any time that the Doctor and Vaughn are on screen, it works beautifully. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. That whole scene with the Doctor telling Vaughn he can't trust the Cybermen and Vaughn basically says, I have no choice at this point. What will happen to me if I change my plans? I'm finished. Yeah. Sunk cost fallacy, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't read the fine print. Yeah. So let's talk about Zoe. She was established in the last Cybermen story as a super clever character, and she gets to show that intelligence again in this story, and I just love that. And she does it in a cat suit, and it's awesome. <laughs> and I, I still feel bad because when we were doing our last episode, I had forgotten that Algol was a real language and kind of an important one, and such a weird thing to be very specific to bring up in a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> Because that's pretty obscure for the time period. 
all of that was was so good. She's convinced the brigadier, let me do this. And he's actually like, all right, I'll listen to you, but I'm cautious about it. And then she gets to do her smarts. And I actually like that whole rocket missile sequence that they had mm-hmm. going on with all that stock footage. Really, really good use of that. I got to say, like, as a seven-year-old, I adored that stuff. <laughs> I was all about that. So cool. The special effects of the Cybermen ships look pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And then poor Vaughn, he gets blamed for it all. You betrayed us. <laughs> it's like, how could you jump to that conclusion? We're now going to destroy all life on <laughs> Earth with the Cyber Megatron bomb. The Megatron bomb. <laughs> the Cyber yes. Megatron bomb, exactly. Yes. Cyber. <sighs> I had a Cyber burger for lunch, if anyone was wondering. <laughs> I ordered Cyber Chinese. <laughs> I gotta say that the Cybermen are really are sore losers. You know, they lose all their ships and then all of a sudden it's just like, well, we're just going to destroy all life here completely, destroy everything. Like, fine, you can't have it, so you can destroy it. Didn't it seem a little out of character? It was out of character and then there was a certain material or something that they wanted from The minerals. Yeah, minerals. Just they wanted to strip the minerals, yeah. So it's like, you're going to do a Megatron bomb, which would kill all life, which seems to me that it's almost like a planet-ending bomb. yeah. Are you going to be able to get your minerals now? It just seems weird because the Cybermen are usually all about converting and making people just like us. And this just seemed really out of character for them as the bad guys. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just assumed that, well, this is just too much effort to actually <laughs> get them. So may- maybe it's a bomb that just would destroy life, but leave buildings and minerals and so on untouched. It would have been really great if we had a scene where both the cyber planner separately and Vaughn separately realized the other one was intending to do the double cross. So they both had that in mind. And so when we had this big climactic argument between the two of them, when the cyber planner says, you betrayed us, Vaughn said, well, you were planning to betray me. <laughs> and then they could have just gone back and forth like, that it would have been the classic spider-man pointing at yeah. spider-man gift <laughs> they wind up triple crossing each other by accidentally working together <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that pretty much takes us to the end of episode seven with the doctor asking is this what you wanted to be the ruler of a dead world on to episode eight and we get an awesome team up yes We also get the great line of she's much prettier than a computer I mean, they're not wrong. She is. (laughs) That was my third choice, Julie, for my intro line was that one right there. But no, no, you're also missing the line before it. Can't we keep her on, sir? Uh, So good. Providing gainful employment to logicians from the future. Only wearing catsuits. Only wearing catsuits. New military uniform. It's in this episode where the music really starts to stand out more so than I recall than from like the first two episodes. Especially in the first two scenes where we had this constant sharp piano chord that would be hit for like a sense of suspense, which works maybe once, but not if you do it three times in a two minute period. Yeah. (laughs) Although I'm not going to lie, many of the times that unit was on screen, because again, I had the closed caption on, it had- Oh, what do they call it? Jaunty military music. Yes, oh, that's so crazy! That's so crazy when it does play. What I jokingly wrote down as the unit theme in the first four episodes, it actually was supposed to be the unit theme, and it doesn't work for a military group at all. It that is so not. crazy. They called it that. I called it in my notes. I called it the jaunty flute theme. That's what I called it. The jaunty flute theme. That's crazy. For the most part, I enjoyed the music. Every once in a while, there are a few things misplaced. But overall, it's better than some other things that we've had. <clears throat> Ice Warriors. Oh, oh, totally. <laughs> I, I, For the most part, I really enjoyed the music in this serial. It's just the, the unit theme seemed a little... <laughs> it, it was a choice. I'll put it that way. They kind of based it off of the British Grenaders, that whole thing. That's used in a lot of classic military pieces. Like It's used even in the Patriot when they have the British Army marching. Mm-hmm. So I'm not... T- Terribly surprised that they went that direction because that's a very classic thing to do for British military. It seems they upped the jauntiness level just a wee bit. It is a campy sci-fi show, so I'm not surprised. Fair enough. This is also where we where we lose Packer. Poor Packer. No. <laughs> Despite the Cybermen supposedly being conditioned to obey Vaughn and his minions, they won't obey anymore. That conditioning's been switched off. Much for your great plan, Vaughn. 
he didn't think this through, much as he protests that he did. I do really enjoy the, the cerebration machine just emoing the Cybermen to death. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, and one of the things I noticed with what Vaughn was saying, and he was basically saying that humankind is weak and needs one leader. And I'm like, why is there this idea that humankind is just so incompetent that we just need one person to bring us out of the death? I'm like, oh, come on. I mean, humankind is incompetent, but I don't think one guy <laughs> is going to take care of it. Especially not the guy that employs Packer. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> It's all ego and the general sociopathy of a CEO. That's yeah. what's going on there. Vaughn's lines in that scene, in that specific line that Julie references, are so good. Appealing to my better nature? No, if I help you, it'll be because I hate them. I gotta respect that. I mean, come it's also on. like, you know, if That's... I do help you, what kind of future will I have? Vaughn, you're a rich white guy. Nothing bad will happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and also to add to Anthony's possible camp count, you think I'm mad that all I want is power? Power for its own sake? No, I have to have yeah. power. <laughs> I think he gets a two for his camp count. At least. Yeah. Maybe mm. five. Let's go with five. Yeah, because he's not quite to the 10 level, which is where he maxed out, I think. Yeah, right. He's not quite He's there. still believable. Yeah. I love it. I mean, him saying humanity's weak, needs strong leadership, and deciding he's the strong leader, well, he's really shown that at this point with his plan going so well. Yeah, <laughs> his plan was to kill most of humanity, so good plan. But I, I really do like the scenes of him and the doctor trying to invade to get to the radio thing. They're delightful. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. that's wonderful you got unit being like all right we've already sent the russian rocket so we're gonna come help you guys and when isabel and zoe were like hey we want to come and the brigadier has this smile on uh -huh. his face and he's like yeah you guys can come as long as you don't get in the way and i'm like oh the brigadier secretly likes them <laughs> i can't believe that isabel wanted to go again i mean it went so well for her last time yeah yeah, I think part of it was she learned some things, and I think she did go into this one knowing what to expect. Yeah, that's so. fair. And then additionally, she's still trying to make it as a photographer. She's also still, you know, trying to get Captain Turner, so. That's true. Captain Jimmy! <laughs> Whatever his name was. Jimmy Turner, who sadly does not come back. Oh. I know. So sad. So from here on in is where we really see the Ministry of Defense assistance that Dougie Canfield was able to procure with all of the truckloads of troops coming in armed to the teeth, ready to take on the Cybermen. I think it's so striking and really gives the idea of a huge budget. And yet that was all basically done for free. Yeah, yeah. it's good producing. I have to say that the military action elements that show up in Doctor Who, especially when they're of our time period or our relative time period, I like the ancient stuff. I like the crazy futuristic stuff, but just military action as we are familiar with it in the 20th and 21st century always seems to be the most uninteresting part or element of Doctor Who to me when they when that gets shown as like action sequences. And I know that we're going about to head into an era where that happens a lot, <laughs> but for a sci-fi show, it's just, I don't need that. I mean, it's good to show you like the vast importance of the events taking place to show like, see the military's involved. It's really important. But just the action shots over and over again, I'm like, yeah, well, I can go without it. For me, it kind of depends on how they place it. And I think with it being against Cybermen in particular, it kind of works out because you got your typical military aspect on one side and then you got your Cybermen on the other. So it's not at least it's not like men versus men, which would then, mm -hmm. yes, that would be incredibly boring. But I think just having that be the other side is good because I think with this one in particular, they had gotten help from the military and they were like, hey, basically be extras and let us do this thing. I think there's a little bit more sense of realism in it mm -hmm. than maybe we've had in some others. So for this particular serial, I'm okay with it. There could be others and I might get sick of it as well. I haven't gone through that whole period yet, so we <laughs> shall see. We'll see what you think in a couple of seasons time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing I find fascinating about this story is the takedown of the Cybermen on Earth is not the end of it. We have all mm -mm. of the tension with, is the Russian missile going to take down the main cybership? I think that's just such an interesting way to wrap this up, and I kind of like it. It's just one of those things where it's not anticlimactic because we still get, obviously, the, the missile has to get destroyed. But there's this rush that you get when they're fighting the Cybermen on the ground and then they take out whatever that beam is. 
but you still got some tension with the missile, but it's weird because all you can do is sit there and wait. So it's a very different type of tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not just will the Russian miss- missile hit the cyber ship. Equally, you've got the Henlo Downs boys trying to stop the bomb that's coming in with their missiles, which adds an entire secondary dimension to that. Mm-hmm. I really like the tension it brings, even though you know, you're know you not watching action, you're watching people standing around and waiting to find out if the news is good or bad. Yeah. And they were so close to having the classic Star Wars type ending where a space battle above and a ground battle below at the same time. Yeah. What would this have been? Uh, let's see, Star Wars was what, 78? Seven. 77? One year mm-hmm. off. So this would have been nine years before Star Wars. Yeah. So, in the end, everything works out. Right. I think, though, do we want to say anything about Vaughn's death scene? Would we want it to be more dramatic, or was it on point? Okay, I know he doesn't come back, but they left it in such a way where if they wanted him to, they totally could have. Because he's mostly cybernetic, except for his head. He was just basically incapacitated. If they had wanted to bring the character back, and I kind of wish they had, they totally could have. A big finish. (laughs) It's sad that Kevin Stoney is no longer with us. (laughs) He passed away in 2008 Mm -hmm. at the age of 87. So he would have been 100. Yeah. Yeah, he was born in January 1921. Well, not to end on the episode on a bad note, I would like to bring up that this episode has what I believe to be the best second doctor gif of all time. Him running down the alleyway, popping with explosions behind him. Yes. It's wonderful. Whoa! Whoa! Oh, it uh. was beautiful. And then him doing his modeling shots with Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> with, as Dom pointed out, that enormous telephoto yeah. lens. Yes. Good job. Uh. Good job, Isabel. Uh. When she was talking about going down and how she could photograph the Cybermen, she really made it sound like she knew her stuff. She yep. did disappointing very much so and it's not the end of her taking photographs no zoe modeling for her at the end and she's managed to get a job with a publishing group we'll see how long that lasts (laughs) or will we no (laughs) probably not and they wake up jamie who's been asleep on a cot the entire time had a big nap he's ready to go back to the tardis and we get my favorite part is them in the field (laughs) just Waving their arms around. Oh, yeah, looking for the the invisible TARDIS. <laughs> I do love that. And, of course, that's the end. That was a nice little bit of comedy. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, or at least I'm sure none of you are surprised by this, Isabel and Jimmy do get a happy ending in the extended media where they do end up getting married. <laughs> at least in one version. In a different version, Isabel goes public with her story and she gets harassed by a government department who are trying to shut her up. <laughs> So that sounds more realistic. <laughs> uh, unit unit just lets her just hangs her out to dry. Unit mm-hmm. unit goes and breaks into her apartment, plants like crazy literature to try to paint her as a loon. <laughs> Good times. All right, so time to rate the story. Riley, we start with you this time around. Oh, excellent! I was hoping I would go first. Okay. Here are the good bits. For eight episodes, it doesn't feel as long as some six-episode serials that we've had. That must mean that they're doing something right here. The padding doesn't feel that obvious other than the constant back and forth between the breaking in and then the escaping out of Vaughn's place. I enjoyed the direction. I thought it was very well shot. I really enjoyed they tried to make Vaughn more well-rounded than the villains that they usually provide us. And even at his most silly, I really enjoyed the music. It really stood out, especially the beginning bits. All right, the bad stuff... It feels plot-wise very by the numbers. Nothing new really going on at the heart of the story. The slight additions are Unit, Isabel, and Vaughn's character, and those are all very, very nice in my opinion, but they're kind of a delightful side item, while the main course seems to be the same kind of thing just done over again. So it all balances out. I was going to say five, but I had such a great time talking about this part with you. I'm going to bump it up to six and a half. So I'm going to give it six and a half Packers out of ten. Ooh, okay. I'll go next. I'll admit there's an element of nostalgia here. I probably first saw this story around 94, 95. I've watched most of the episodes probably 30 times, and I still love this story. Kevin Stoney is brilliant as Vaughn. 
And in general, yeah, the Cybermen are kind of ancillary to the plot, but they don't need to have a big presence. I'm slowly coming to the conclusion that emotionless monsters are kind of boring, and having a character like Vaughn be the main villain is far more interesting. Yes, it's formulaic, but it moves along at a pace that's just fun, and as you said, Riley, it doesn't feel like eight episodes. I think the little visual pieces with Jamie in particular and things like where he hops out of the car and hops around into the front seat cutting off Packer bring some wonderful bits of humour to an otherwise fairly serious story. And I just can't help but really love this one. So this one gets 9 out of 10 cocoons from me. Done. Why don't you go next? I think I shall. Thank you. I really enjoyed this story. Right from the get-go, you've got something that's very atmospheric. The music is great. It just sets a nice tone, and that's even going through an animated reconstruction. Later on, you get some action scenes. You get, as Anthony said, Kevin Stoney just doing an amazing job. He's so charming and yet so evil. You get a canoe. Doctor in a (laughs) canoe. How often do we get that? Almost never. You get weird character bits with Isabel where she always writes stuff on a wall that doesn't put anything towards the plot, but it's just interesting and (laughs) funny and odd. I know we've said it before, and I think we're probably going to say it for every story they show up in, that the Cybermen don't really need to be the monsters here. It could have been anything, but I think story-wise, you have a plot that still has some modern-day relevance with a head of a mega corporation basically trying to take over the world, good or for ill. It's a really good story. Unit stuff works. You've got Zoe being awesome. I'm giving it eight gubbins out of ten. <laughs> and actually, I forgot to say anything. I do love the fact that we get units introduced and we do see more than one of those characters returning in the future. So that contributed to my rating. Anyway, Julie, over to you. Wrap us up. I mean, I don't know that there's too much more that I can say that hasn't already been said. You got eight episodes that don't feel like eight episodes. You got two reconstructions that actually did a really good job, especially compared to some other animations, not reconstructions, animations, um, compared to the other animations that we've seen. You've got great music. You've got Vaughn, who is one of the best villains that I've seen in a while. And it just all seems to come together and work. You know, you got a few things that knock it down, but they're few and far between. But I'm going to give it eight napping Jamies out of ten. Okay, so rounded up, that gives us a story average of 7.88, so an enjoyable story all round, I think. That brings us to the end of our discussion, but before we wrap up, we do have one email, which is from avid listener Bill Lamond, who wrote to us to tell us how much he loves the enemy of the world, and to compliment Riley's fake advertisement for the little chonker in our season 5 roundup. (laughs) Bill, it's always good to hear from you. And for anyone else, if you do want to drop us an email, we do like to see them. We will read things out on the show. So you can get us at watches4d at gmail.com. But with that, we are pretty much out of time. We will be back next episode when we will be enjoying some croutons in our soup. Oh, wait, no, that was my lunch. It's the croutons next time round. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, All About the Stash, was recorded on Wednesday the 17th of February 2021. In the meantime, you can find all of our previous episodes on your favourite podcasting app. You can also interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. And you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. All of these things really do help the show. And always remember, if you're going to double-cross your alien allies, make sure that you have all the details of your backup plan ready to go before you execute the main plan.